Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We are glad you're here to worship with us today. Let's stand together and sing about the blood of Jesus. Thank you. 
Father God, for your precious blood that washes us clean and makes us white as snow, we worship you. Let's continue singing.
praise. You are the Lion of Judah. We worship you today. You may be seated. As we continue singing, praise ever be on our lips, for he is worthy. There is no other God but him. Amen.
Lord, we're amazed by you. We sing it. We want our lives to be evident of that fact. We want to be true of everything of who we are, that our lives exude, that we are amazed by you. We want it to be proof by how we live and how we interact and how we conversate and how we love others. We just celebrate celebrated something amazing. Your display of love on the cross and through the resurrection is amazing. We're amazed by it. We want to be amazed by that every week, every day of this year. We want to be the people that being amazed by you is evident everything that we do. We want to be a church that comes together and lift you up together and cohesively preach your name, convey your love, exchange your grace to others around us. Because we know it wasn't just a death on a cross and it wasn't just a resurrection, but because of that, there is grace and we are renewed by it amazing fact. Let us be the people that walk by grace and show your love. Your word says that we will be known because of our love. Disciples of Christ will be known because of their love. I think that's one of the most clear ways that we can be evidently showing that we're amazed by you is is loving others because you loved us first. And I pray we do that as a church. We do it as families. We do it as individuals, wherever we go, because we know the church is not a building. It is your people. And when we want to live by the love you have shown us first. We want to be mirrors back to you. We want to display your love. Pure and simple. Lord, we're amazed by you. We thank you for your gift. The cross and what the resurrection means for us and in our lives. We love you, Lord. I pray you bless these tithes and offerings that will be brought. It's just another way of worship, another way of showing our love bless those givings, help build your kingdom in a great way. We know that you can multiply things in an amazing way, and I pray that you just do that with our givings. It's in your name we pray. Amen. A few announcements. Um, If you haven't voted, if you're a member, um, we will still have the voting booth out there in this is for the board members. Uh, members only can vote. It'll be going throughout the uh, after the service in the lobby. And today, newcomers lunch. That's what all these tables are about. We're going to have lunch right after this, a potluck. If you're a newcomer, if you're new today, we would love for you to stay after and join us. Um, and then next week, we got a big fundraiser going on for the team, so we need your help. Uh, it's a spaghetti lunch and a dessert auction. Love to have everybody join us after service. Um, 
we'll have spaghetti set up and just pay for lunch as you would going out to eat or whatever and then stay after we will have dessert auction and come by um, some really great uh, homemade desserts. kiddos you can come on up i don't know if you had an offering you wanted to bring and drop in your offering box and then today's the last sunday of the month and that means sermon in the stack time <coughs> somebody brought something special let me have this buddy thank you i think it was Kaylee. Oh, you brought, I, we have two surprises for me today. So, and by opening this one, you hang on to this, baby girl, okay? All right, so in case you're visiting for the first time with us today, the last Sunday of every month, the kids are in with us the whole time, and one of them brings in a surprise for me, usually it's me. I don't know what it is, and when I pull it out, we're going to try to have an on, off-the-cuff dialogue about whatever interesting thing is in here, and we have, ooh, what are these, kiddos? Headphones, what are they for? Hearing stuff? Yeah, do you, who listens to headphones? You ever have headphones? What do you usually listen to, Hunter? Music, games that you play, like on your uh, iPhone or iPod or iPad or i whatever. Your tablet, yes, that's what it was. What do you listen to, Jay Darius? You listen to videos like movies and stuff. Nice. You listen to something shows on trips yeah when you're in the car long trips very good mm-hmm mm-hmm so we put these on our ears so that we can hear something very particular have you ever heard God speak to you now Probably most of the time when people hear from God, they don't actually hear through their ears. But a few people have, some people have, but most of the time when he talks to us, he doesn't talk to our ears. He talks to our hearts and our minds. That's how we get to hear his voice. Did you know that God is still speaking and he wants to speak to you and he wants you to be in a place where you can actually hear his voice, not through your ears, not through headphones, not through necessarily through devices, but talking to your heart. Now, has any, have you ever experienced God touching your heart before? Yes. Remember that happening? Do you remember how that felt? How'd that feel? Not really, kind of hard to describe. You had that happen too? where he touched your heart. Maybe 
maybe something that uh, uh, Miss McKenzie was saying in children's church or or something, or, or maybe a teacher, maybe uh, reading the Bible, yes? Baptism. When we read the Bible, when we uh, come to church, God can speak to our hearts. We hear something through our ears because of what's being read or what's being said, but then we can sense or feel something happening in our hearts. That's how God talks to us. And I'm telling you, I know that he wants to talk to you. Maybe even today, he might want to say something to your heart. I want to pray for you, okay? Will you bow your heads? Jesus, we want to be a people that are hearing your voice. We're here today because we're putting ourselves in a position, in a place where we can hear from you. So we open up our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you want to say to us, whether it's through the Bible, when we open up scripture, maybe it's been happening through worship time, something about one of the songs has spoken to us, maybe through the sermon or through whatever Miss McKenzie has prepared for our kids here today. I know that you love our children and you want to talk to them. You want them to have a personal relationship with you. So open up their hearts and their minds as they continue to learn more about you and more how to have a relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. And everybody said, amen. You give our kids a hand. And you head right over there. And Miss McKenzie's got some great stuff for you. Thank you, Kaylee. This was awesome. Love having our kids in here with us. I want to invite you to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. As you're doing that, um, you know, I'm kind of a, one of those hardcore red-blooded American types. I mean, I love our country. I love rooting for our country. I mean, uh, Olympics, when the Olympics happen, that's like, I get so excited about, and, and, and I don't even care what sport it is. I don't even care if I know anything about the sport. I just, I just want to see the good old USA, you know, competing and, and winning. And I, I just get charged up about it. I don't know if you're that way. So I'm kind of nationalistic that way. I love it when, um, when things are going really well for us as a nation. Uh, uh, last night, boys and I were watching um, a miracle on ice. You remember the story from 1980 uh, uh, Olympics when a hockey team kind of showed up on the scene and just did the unthinkable and beat the Russians and just the, the excitement. I was nine years old when that happened. I, 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 I remember watching it. Um, very exciting times. I, that, that's, that's fun. But then there's also times where in the midst of all that, man, hard things can happen to us. Um, I mean, I think of 9-11, um, when tragedy strikes, when, when difficult things happen to our nation, um, when we're humbled um, by what's happening. Basically, the nation of Israel, by the time David 
shows up on the scene, and, and, and we're, we're in the throes of David serving as king of Israel, I, I am confident that if you were to ask any Jew, even, even any Jew today, they're going to tell you, King David, that, that's, that's when Israel was at its peak. That's, that was their heyday. That, that was, that was the, the, the good old days. That, that was the high times for, for Israel. King David on into his, his son leading King Solomon. They're going to tell you that. Now, that seems strange to us because, of course, we, we view things through the lens of Messiah. And, and so Jesus showing up on the scene, that's, that's what we're going to talk to. That's what we're going to refer to. But understand that we're still in a place where most Jews have not accepted Christ, accepted Jesus as Messiah. They're still looking for him. So they're going to point all the way back to most of them, if not all of them, to the days of King David and King Solomon. And, and, and we find ourselves in that time frame in 2 Samuel as we get into chapter 12. So the, the framework should be awesomeness, greatness, phenomenal days, the best of times. And yet, something very tragic has taken place. And see, there's, there's one day, and this, this is basically what happens in chapter 11. David, as king, should have been off with his, his soldiers fighting the war that was going on. But instead, he hung back at the palace. And there's this story where David was walking on the, the rooftop and looks out across the scenery and he sees this woman bathing, decides that uh, he's going to have her, even though she belongs to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is out fighting a battle. In fact, Uriah is one of David's mighty men. There's, there's this list of, of, of men that you can find that, that were, were significant in battle. I mean, just, just had special uh, ability on the battlefield. And, and Uriah the Hittite was, was one of David's mighty men. But David seems to not really care about in that in this moment. He sees Bathsheba um, and decides that, that he wants her, and he brings her in, he he lays with her. She becomes pregnant. And now he's in trouble. And so he calls for Uriah the Hittite to be brought home. And he, he invites Uriah into, uh, in, into the palace, uh, um, checks in on, hey, you know, how's things going? Um, kind of gets him um, uh, a little drunk, honestly, and says, you know what? Since you're here, why don't you just head on home? Uh, hang out with your wife, you know, do that kind of thing, and, and, and then you can head back into battle. But Uriah, it, it, his heart is gold. And he's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that because my guys are out there in the heat of the battle. I, I'm not going to go home and be with my wife. So instead, he, he, he lays right outside the, the palace door there until day breaks. David clearly can't get Uriah to cooperate with his cover story. So the, what happens is really tragic is, is uh, David gives order 
to have Uriah put on the, uh, the front of the lines, and uh, he wants to get Uriah killed in battle. And sure enough, that's what happens. And so he brings the grieving widow, Bathsheba, into his home and marries her, and she's pregnant. And so now all things are, are good. He, he got everything figured out. Story's all covered up, and we can move on with life. And that's exactly where we pick up the reading at chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is prophet of the day. <clears throat> when he came to him, he said, i got a story to tell you, David. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little you lamb, female lamb, he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. That little sheep was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and declared to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He's got it, believing in his mind that this is a true story, something that's actually just happened. As surely as the Lord lives, this, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now, just, just so you know, David did not just make up this random number. This actually comes out of Exodus and is, a, and is part of the law, part of the system that they're functioning inside of. If you steal a sheet from somebody the person who stole that is to repay that four times over. Okay, so that he, he's not just pulling that number out of thin air. That's, that's right out of Scripture. So David understands the system within which he is functioning inside of. He must pay four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then the story turns here. Nathan said to David, You are that man. You could just hear the walls echoing, man, 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 man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, King David. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. <coughs> and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites, of the Ammonites. So therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. 
one of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you out, out of your own household. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. This will be done in broad daylight before all Israel. David, I can imagine falling to his knees, cries out, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. This is a very important response. This is a very important response. <clears throat> because truly, as king, it would be far more probable for the king to respond with um, excuses, maybe even blame shifting onto Bathsheba, blame shifting somehow, some way onto Uriah himself, um, th with uh, the pride that would normally come with the throne. You could find him trying to deflect any way that he possibly could. I, I, I truly believe that would, that would be the more common, the more, the more um, uh, normal response. But David's response is humility, it's brokenness, it is just flat out taking ownership. I sinned. Not just against Uriah, not just against Bathsheba, I, I have sinned against God himself. So Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're forgiven, David. That response is exactly what you needed to do. Your sin has been taken away. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him to get, get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any, few, any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, Man, while he, was, while he was living, he wouldn't listen to them when we spoke to them. How, how can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering. And he said, is the child dead? Yes, they replied, he's dead. David got up from the ground. After he washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. Perplexed by what they're seeing, they asked, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? And he said, While the child was still alive, I, I fasted and I wept because I thought maybe, who knows, 
Maybe the Lord might be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I, can I bring him back again? You see, I'm going to go to him someday, but he's not going to return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her, made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him and became the Lord. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. We'll end the reading there. A tragic story in the midst of the heyday of Israel, in the midst of, of its greatness, their king does this, these awful things. And it's in, in trying to cover up his sin, he adds another layer of sin and another layer of sin on top of this, and it just and then it, and it just snowballs. And he and he thinks he gets it all figured out and, and cleaned up and, and dressed up and looking nice and tidy and, 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 and he kept it a, a secret. But he forgot that, you see, the Lord knows everything. Hebrews tells us that, that, that everything about us, who we are, what we have done, what we have said, what, what, even what we're thinking, it's all laid before him to whom we must give account someday. I, I, I realize that, that when we think about that, it can start to feel really uncomfortable. Um, maybe put us on edge a little bit, especially if we're involved in things that we shouldn't be involved in. I find it very comforting, to be honest with you. Because in, in spite of what I may have done, the grace of our Lord Jesus continues to be extended. If my response is like David's response, when, when we sin, we need to be in a place where we confess our sins. We, we can't try to cover them up, and we certainly don't want to be in the habit of adding one layer of, of, of sin on top of another layer of sin, trying to do this cover-up thing. It'll just snowball. As believers in Jesus, when we fail, we must fall on our knees and confess. I can't do that for you. Your spouse can't do that for you. Your mom and dad can't do that for you. It is personal responsibility. Here's the thing. God is forgiving. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And we're so grateful and thankful for that. But as we see in this story with David, consequences can and probably will still unfold. Forgiveness does not equal we get away with it. 
I, I think that's really important thing for us to understand. Because I, my concern for believers today is that we assume that, well, well, I'll just do whatever I want. I know that God is going to forgive me. And, and so we sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness. And we, we get into this habit uh, or this, this mindset that that's the case. Not thinking through that our sinful actions can and usually do still have consequences regardless of whether the sin has been forgiven or not. As is the case with David here. His immediate response when he's confronted, I have sinned against the Lord. And the first thing that is said is, your sin has been removed from you, forgiven. But the consequences are still going to have to unfold. Now, the only one that is mentioned in this particular part of the passage is, the son that will be born to you must die. And we see David begging for the life of his newborn son, but yet that son still dies. Nameless. What you don't see is that there is more consequence to this than that. Two other things. Well, one, one is mentioned that, that um, the sword will never depart from their house and, and that there's going to be this, this public thing that happens with his wife and some, his wives and someone close to him. But if you back the story up even more, David's initial reaction when he hears the story of the man taking the little lamb from the other man, he says, that person must pay fourfold for what he has done. And, I, and, and this particular judgment that, that David speaks out of his mouth comes right back on top of him. As you continue <clears throat> the story of David's family over the next several chapters, you begin to see all the consequences starting to unfold. Not only does he lose uh, the, the newborn baby, child number one, one of his sons, Amnon, is killed by another one of his sons, Absalom. Absalom then enters into a pure rebellion against David's regime, and so much so that David flees away from the kingdom, from, from the palace, and lo and behold, there's this scene where Absalom sleeps with David's concubines up on the palace roof, the same roof that he looked from down upon Bathsheba. This thing is done in, day, in the middle of the day in public, and it's, it's an awful display. But in the midst of this family struggle, Absalom is killed. As David is close to the end of his life, he determines, it is determined in his heart and his mind that Solomon is going to be the king that takes over. And sure enough, that's what happens. The problem is one of his other sons, Adonijah, decides to set himself up as king. And prior to David's death, Adonijah is put to death. Four sons. David had to watch and grieve for. 
before his last dying breath. The consequences were real. I, I, I wonder if, 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 if that's really what um, helped David to not continue in this kind of behavior. That the consequences were so real, so uh, deep, that it really caused him to turn from his sin. Folks, that, that, is, that is the real definition of the word repent. Repentance is to turn from. Now, we... The, the, the hard thing about really turning from is, is letting go of. And, 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 and for, especially for some of us who, who may have addictions that we're, we're talking about that, that we keep trying to turn from and we keep trying to repent of, and, and in turning from, <clears throat> we turn from it for a time, but we're not truly letting it go and it pulls us back in. But because in our hearts and our minds we, we, we've come to determine or, or buy into the notion that God is going to keep forgiving me so it's okay, um, the, the, the real meaning of the word repentance is not just turning from it, but cutting it loose. In fact, it, it would probably be better said, instead of repenting from, repenting into now think about the, the distinguishing piece to, to that idea. Repenting from, uh, it seems to have a bit of an, uh, uh, an attachment still that, that, that can pull us. But when you repent into something else, you're stepping into a whole different paradigm or a whole different way of living. It empowers us to cut loose what is what is drawing us in, whatever's drawing us into that pit. Repenting into a new way of living. Man, that, you know, that, that sounds like freedom. That sounds like holiness. That sounds like sanctification. Um, I, I, could, I could think of a number of words that, that would describe that kind of difference. And, and, I, and I think that these consequences that happened to David help him do that because we don't see this repeated again. Somehow he cuts all that loose and, 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 and it, the, the consequences, I'm sure, had something to do with that. But the bottom line, we understand David as, 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 a, as, a, as a person who who is after God's own heart. We see it in his repentance, his immediate repentance. And then we see it in the way he moves forward. Begging for the life of his son with, with fasting and weeping and prayer, but deep down his heart knowing God is God and he's going to do whatever he is going to do. And when God has made the choice to not save the life of his son, he gets up, washes, and he goes into worship. You are God. I am not. 
there's this psalm that David writes. Psalm 51 comes right out of this set of circumstances. Listen to David's heart cry as I read through this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is, is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be made clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's like that, it's that cutting that thing loose. Steadfastness. Repenting into is, is determining to repent into steadfastness. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You, you, are, you who are God my Savior and, and my tongue will, will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These things you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered wholly and bowls will be offered on your altar. He understands the need for his heart to be made right, pure. That the, the offerings, the sacrifices, these things that are, that are happening inside of the system that, that God himself implemented, these aren't the things that please God. What pleases God is doing the right thing, being the right person, being the person that he's created to be, being the kind of leader, king, that, that God has created him to be. And murder, adultery, dis deceit, coveting, all these things that, that clearly offend all of the, the laws that have been put into place inside of this system. These things, David commits all of those wrongdoings. And he's like, offering sacrifices for that, that's not what's going to make you happy. Repentance, 
brokenness, contrite spirit, but steadfastness. That, that the Spirit of God inside of him, he says, don't remove that from me, please. Because I need your Spirit in me so that I can sustain, so I can be steadfast in this, in this new way, this new way of living, this new paradigm. That is what pleases the Lord. And it's the same for us today as it was for him. And it's the desire of our hearts that, that we would live that way. With your eyes closed, just a, a few moments of, of real self-reflection Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. If those words were coming from your mouth, can you identify anything in your life that those words would be speaking about? If your heart was crying those words out, because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is there any part of your life, that surfaces to your heart and your mind right now, and it's sort of like the, the red flags are waving in your face, and it's identifying itself as something that's just not pleasing pleasing to the Lord. I want to pray a prayer. And if you want to join me in this prayer, it's, it's, it's a prayer of, of, of repentance and, and surrender. It's, 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 it's going to be a prayer that reflects not just repenting from, but repent, repenting into. And if there are things that have surfaced in your heart and your mind right now, while I'm praying this prayer out loud over this microphone, I want to invite you to pray your own prayer. You can do so right where you're seated. If you feel like you need to come and, and kneel as at, at an altar or kneel right where you are, Whatever position of prayer you need to find yourself in, I don't want to hinder you from that. I, I encourage you to find your place of prayer. But here's what I, I, I would like for you to do. Representing whatever this thing is in, in, in your life, maybe you could act like you're, you're holding it in your hands right now, as if you're holding a bowl representing this thing, sin issue, this, this, this situation, might be a relationship, might be actions, it might be words that you're saying, it might be an attitude in your heart. I, I, I don't know what it might reflect. But it has surfaced in you today and it is something that, um, that comes between you 
and God, and, and you know it does. And in fact, it, it steals the joy of your salvation away. That's why David says, you know, restore to me the joy of your salvation. All that he had done had robbed him of that. If you're holding that in your hands right now, as I begin this prayer, as you begin your prayer, to allow ourselves to repent, confess, and repent into in other words, lay these things down at his feet and have them removed from our equation, from our realities. And a whole new thing can be allowed to happen in our lives. Jesus, you know us. You know everything about us. There's nothing hidden from you. This story has highlighted that truth, that reality. David learned of it firsthand. We have learned of it firsthand in our own lives as well. And we're reminded of it today. What we hold in our hands right now reflects things that have hindered us, things that have caused us to falter, to fall, to fail, sin issues. And we've seen that the results of these sin issues is, 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 is they rob us of our, of our connection with you. They rob us of, of, of the joy that, that we should have in our lives from you and with you. And they come with consequences that sometimes we can't stop. For some of us, what we hold in our hands is real addiction things. Things that we can't break free from as hard as we try, as, as hard as we set our minds to it. They keep pulling us back in and pulling us back in and pulling us back in and we, we repent from it and fall back in and repent from it and fall back in. And we don't want that to be our equation anymore. We don't want that to be the reality of our lives anymore. So today, we choose to repent into We confess our sins to you, knowing that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins. But in laying these things down at your feet, we don't hang on to it anymore. We cut it loose. And are asking, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to move into the new. A different a, a different mentality uh, that is conforming no longer to the patterns of the world but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. For some of us in here, we need mind renewal right now as we're cutting that loose. A whole different way of, of thinking about that issue 
seeing it the way you see it. Calling it what it is and cutting it loose, repenting into a whole different set of behaviors, a whole different way of thinking, a whole different way of speaking, a whole different way of relating. As we're letting the old go and taking on the new, restore the joy of salvation into our hearts and our minds and our bodies. As you free us from whatever addictions we, that may be getting addressed today, that you will fill those voids with your spirit. Empowering us to live differently, changed, transformed. Reflecting that our faces and our, what, what would be a reflection of what's happening inside of us. It would just be an, an overflow of the joy and restoration and, and, and forgiveness that is, that is happening in us even right now in this moment. Ultimately, us becoming the people that you have created us to be. Becoming the people that you died so that we could become. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I thank you for this story. It's tragic. It's painful. It's ugly, but it is a story of, of redemption and, and a story of, of restoration. Even though consequences still unfold, David, David is redeemed and restored to you, which is exactly what we want for our own lives, our own hearts, and our own minds. And I pray for the, the moms and dads in this room that still have children in the home like myself. That you will keep before us the importance of making the right decisions, of, of living righteous and faithful lives so that our children won't have to bear the consequences of our choices, our negative choices, our, our poor choices, our sinful choices, that, our, that our, our children would be spared from whatever calamity that could come upon them, or even just the generational sin being passed down to them. Empower us, parents, in this, in this newness, that our, that our transformed lives will translate to them. We want to be a protective covering over our children, not a conduit for the evil one to come in and wreak havoc in them. I thank you for the, for the parents that have been doing that thus far. And I thank you for the parents that are choosing to start doing that today. What a difference 
that we'll make in our families. We love you, Jesus, and we live for you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You stand with me. Let's say a blessing over you. And I want to remind our folks that are hanging out for our newcomers' dinner. If you're here for the first time today, or maybe this you were here last week for the first time and you didn't know about this, you're invited to stay for this. We want you to stay, even if you didn't come with food. If you feel guilty about that and you want to run to the store real fast and then come back with food, fine. Or you can just stay. We'll have plenty. Um, this dinner is is so that we can get to know you better, the staff and, and our board and, and our connections team. We personally invite you to stay for that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, and fill you with his peace and his power. I pray you have an amazing one this week. See you next Sunday.